The St. Charles County Veterans Museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. The museum would not exist without the donations of our generous community. Your donations ensure the museum continues to share and preserve the stories of our veterans. Would you like to be part of something special? To donate, visit sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate. The Dog Tag Podcast may at times cover sensitive topics including, but not limited to, suicide, abuse, violence, severe mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol addiction. You are advised to refrain from watching or listening to the Dog Tag Podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. Neither the company, host, director, or guests shall at any time be liable for the content covered, causing offense, distress, or other reaction. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. The primary purpose of the Dog Tag Podcast is to educate. The views, information, or opinions expressed on the Dog Tag Podcast are solely the views of the individuals or guests involved and by no means represent absolute facts. The Dog Tag does not accept responsibility for their views or comments. This podcast is sponsored by the Renee S. Real Estate Agency located here in O'Fallon, Missouri. She is licensed in Missouri and Illinois and focuses on your personal and commercial insurance needs. Her office is located at 2764 Highway K, O'Fallon, Missouri, 63368. She can be reached at 636-379-9556 or by email at reneesry at allstate.com, R-E-N-E-E-E-S-S-A-R-Y at allstate.com. If you are shopping for insurance and want an active agent that will educate and advise you on the coverage you need, reach out to her. Welcome to the Dog Tag Podcast from the St. Charles County Veterans Museum with your host, Jason Galvin and Jim Higgins. Today in studio, we have Selena and Zach Mann. Jim, go ahead and kick us off. Well, welcome, guys. I want to say that this is the absolute first time we've ever had a married couple that are both veterans in the studio, and that's kind of exciting. Um, first off, before I ask how you met, I'd, I'd like to get an idea from both you guys. You know, we've been volunteer army since 1973, and we'd like to ask people, why did you choose to join the army? Um, so I joined because, well, I've got military family. Uh, my dad was in the army, and then I've got two great uncles that were also in, and my great grandfather and my grandfather. Um, so I originally wanted to do that. It was a little hard for me to get in, so I kind of gave up a little bit because um, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do psychological operations. And there wasn't always room for me. So I gave up. I went to college for a semester, realized I couldn't keep paying. Um, so then I went back in and tried again. And uh, that, was a, that was a story that she wrote. <laughs> and Zach, how about you? The main reason I joined was I was working at a gas station at the, at the time. And I didn't really want to work there anymore. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. So I just thought the military would have been the best bet for me. She did not like that I was joining the military. Yeah, Actually. I wanted to put a little caveat in there. It <laughs> caused a really big riff between us uh, when we were dating. I was absolutely against him going in. 
I think it went something along the lines of, if you go to the recruiter, let me come with you. He went to the recruiter without me. Uh, If you go to the, if you pick a job, let me go with you. By the time I got there, he already picked a job. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to go infantry, but she kind of. Oh, I said it was going to be over if you owe infantry. (laughs) (laughs) So this is 2008 you met. Yes. And then 2009. No, it was 2010. Because it was, um, you joined right when I got my orders. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was Mm -hmm. furious. (laughs) So you took the military test, uh, ASCOB, ASFAB Mm -hmm. test, and and you chose your MOS. Mm -hmm. Zach, what was that? 91 Alpha, which is an Abrams tank system maintainer that I never really did outside of training and then the last three months of my army career. I was a, um, I was, uh, what is it? Hotel 8 certified. So I drove an 88 and I also drove a wrecker, uh, trained to pick up broken stuff that's broke down in the field. Um, and then, when I when I went overseas, um, we didn't really use the eighty eight, um, so I was more so like a QA QC inspector for all the infantry guys, the cav guys, and all, like all their vehicles. And I was like, man, I don't want to do this the whole entire deployment. This really stinks. And then our company had a logistics team. They would provide security for like class nine and like class one and all that other stuff. And uh, they're like, hey, we have an opening. I was like. I'll go. I'll go. And, uh, yeah, that's basically what I did. So I was QAQC for two months in Iraq, and then the rest of my tour I was a driver and a gunner on an MRAP. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you take an Army test and don't use any part of Ex- it. Yep. Pretty I much. think that happens a lot, though. It really does. I mean, we had cooks and guard towers, 12 on, 12 <laughs> off with an AT4. And, I mean, like, this ain't what you signed up for. He's like, no. Better than making them eggs or, or or whatever the heck they were making in there. So, and, and Selena, I mean, psychops, you got to be pretty pretty smart for that. Well, now, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you do. I, I mean, I, I hear you got to be score really high. Well, on that. there's so you have. I think the army requires like a 31 total score on your ASVAB. Um, but then you have like the line scores. That one ten GT score, you probably had at least a one ten. I I did. So you have to have a, a higher score in your GT score. Um, so like the, just your psychological thinking to go into psyop, and I I did get that. Um, it was a really unique experience. I knew I wanted to do that because I like um, I like talking to people, and I like uh, really getting to understand like other cultures. And that was the only job that I could figure out would would be for me, um, because well, information officer too, like I O, but uh, you had to have a really high clearance for that, and you do press IOP as well. But I was able to um, just get secret clearance instead of top secret, because in order to get top secret, I was going to have to give up my dual citizenship because mm-hmm. I have dual citizenship from Germany and here. Okay. Um. So PSYOP was the way to go. So if you Google PSYOPs, if you, it pretty much says something to the effects like um, 
I was joking before we went on air, you're messing with people's minds, but it does talk about propaganda and spinning stories to persuade people. You mentioned it was like marketing almost. It it can be like marketing. That would be the civilian equivalent. (laughs) Um, Persuasion. So the motto for psych, for psychological operations is to persuade change and influence the minds of others. Now, I'm sitting here thinking I'm married to a psych ops guy, Zach. How does that work? How I does mean, that work? <laughs> well, she says that she doesn't use her powers on me, but I've I've kind of caught her doing it. I don't think she realizes that she's doing it. Give me an example. I disagree. We're going to get into this deep. <laughs> Give you an example? I feel like I work really I, hard not to. I'm going to be I'll, honest. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll, I'll think. I'll think of an example <laughs> because I I thought about Happens it just time, recently. Right? <laughs> yeah. I do know that I always I've asked you before. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, like I I, yeah, I encouraged yeah. you to marry me? Yeah. She's like, do you, did you, do you think <laughs> I tricked you into marrying me? And I'm like, you didn't trick me. I said, you know, you didn't fucking trick me. But uh, <laughs> but how would you know? exactly that's the thing i don't know are you even really here we don't know (laughs) none of us know if we're here we're in a simulation (laughs) no it it is a really unique thing um and really all it is is to get to know your target audience which is why you know it's equivalent to civilian marketing you need to know who you're talking to why you're talking to them and what do you want from them Mm. and then you know, you're going to have to go in and kind of start that conversation. There's no way that in either Iraq or Afghanistan that you would have been able to go into someone's home and say, hey, do you know where this guy is? It doesn't work that way there. Um, it just doesn't. You're not going to go anywhere. You'll never be welcomed into their home. So it's kind of more like a three cups of tea situation. And you have to be aware of that going in. Um, and then what your, your desired outcome is. So that's kind of where Tsai teaches you. <clears throat> so you were over in what year were you over in Iraq? Uh, Zach was actually in Iraq. You were in Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan. I was there um, 2010 to 2011. And I try to think what's in 2010, 2011. 2011, we got Osama bin Laden. Yep. Yes, we did. I was there. Sure were you? I was. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of Tsai we had to do for that. Yeah, I got a call in, in my B hut. I li- the psyop was because we're detachments, very really unique compared to what Zach went through. I was in a compound, um, yeah. But I got the phone call that the uh, the SEAL team did it, and um, we got them. And the next step <laughs> was to calm the country down um, because we still have much more work to do. That had to have been uh, a little bit of a scary time. Because there was a lot of supporters of him, mm-hmm. and you probably didn't quite know what was going to happen in the days after that, did you? We had no idea what was going to happen, but the the name of the game is to get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we did have lots of riots um, outside of uh, Ford Operating Base Shank is where I was, and um, on top of, you know, where my guys were, because we weren't all together. It was a, a detachment. So there was four of us at Fob Shank, and then um, there was teams of three around the rest of the area, you know, Logar, Wardak, and things like that. 
So getting to them and making sure that they were okay and, and knowing what to do, it's going to be really important. Was it, was there proximity to the capture or was, were you guys pretty far away from, um, he was captured in Pakistan. He was, he was captured in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was in Pakistan. I want to say it was a little over a hundred miles. Okay. Of where I was and where my guys were. Reasonably close. Yeah, I mean, considerably close, you know, enough to where... It's like to the Ozarks in here. Yeah, we, we had some concerns, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we needed to make sure that we can continue our mission. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we just, you know, communication was going to be key. So did you speak the language? Do you speak? We were just talking about it the way here. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. No, I did not. I think the only things that I can remember, um, you know, it's traditional, salam alaikum, alaikum salam, and then wadarega, uh, which... If I remember correctly, it means stop. Um, no, I we had an interpreter. And um, at being a female, I really actually wasn't able to speak a lot mm. to very many people at all. <laughs> so um, a lot of it went through, you know, my guys or um, I was attached to the uh, – I was actually attached a lot. 10th Mountain, mm. 173rd. Um, and 101st were out of uh, Bath, Bagram, that we reported to as well. Well, one of the more interesting points about the time that you were over there, to me, women weren't officially in combat until, what, 2013? Yeah. But you were at risk Mm -hmm. all those days you were there. You were combat trained, I'm sure. Yes. You carried a M16, I guess. I carried an M4 and a 9 mil on my side. So, I mean, it's dangerous. We we know of stories, women driving convoys, things like that. They're shot at mm-hmm. regular. And, and the idea or concept that women aren't in combat is baloney. Yeah. It, I mean, we had women go, you know, everywhere. I went on a few missions um, with my guys. And really because I wanted to be able to, like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, let me go with you and, and let me check this out, see what I can do. I was unsuccessful. Um, and accomplishing much because I ran into, you know, school children, which they didn't want to talk to me. They'd never seen me. I hadn't built a relationship. Um, and then, you know, the women, they would much rather come on base. And so that's where I had a lot of my conversations is bringing women onto the base and, and talking about that and partnering with civil affairs a lot. PSYOP partners with civil affairs a whole lot. And, and Zach, uh, you know, the same time you were in Iraq, 2010, we were starting to draw down. Yeah, well, I was there uh, February 2011 until December 2011. And yes, I drove in a convoy of about, I don't know, 45 trucks out of Iraq into Kuwait. We closed down our cob. Okay. Yeah. And that had to have been a little bit of a stressful time. Oh. You know, anytime I think the military hears drawdown, they get a little nervous. Mm-hmm. It means we don't have enough now. We're going to have less. True. And I, I don't even want to say we closed it down. We basically handed the reins over to the State Department. And uh, they, <laughs> we got word, I think, three or four days later when we were in Kuwait that they did some pretty hefty damage to Cobb Basra right when we left. That was a very quiet exit that I don't – think everybody knew over there that no, you were really we, leaving we didn't we didn't know we were closing it down until maybe a month out well, like you couldn't they even tell me huh you couldn't even tell you know, me we 
in April, we got word that it could potentially be a 16-month deployment. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, like, a lot of things were in the works uh, that I, I didn't know about. And like I said, I didn't even – we didn't even know. Like, my first sergeant didn't know until a month out. So uh, it was very stressful getting everything scrambled together and, like, dry, like once you drive your truck into Kuwait, like, you turned it in. And we were done with it, so they kept it. Um, Any holdover time in Kuwait before you left? Yeah, I think I was there for about two weeks. And then we came home. We came home like two weeks before Christmas. What was the cycle for the uh, for the tours? Was it four months, eight months? What? It's usually a year. A year, okay. Yeah, but uh, I made it to, what, nine months and some change. Before you guys went to Kuwait? Uh, yeah, before we drove to Kuwait. Drove yeah. to Kuwait, okay. Mm-hmm. So you met in 2008. You knew each other now. You were probably communicating halfway around the world. The signal was probably coming back to the United States and then back over to there. But with one one of a partner, you know, stationed in a war zone, there's stress. But both of you are stationed in war zones. How, how was that? I mean, that had to have been real worrisome. On it a was, day-to-day basis. Well. It was awful. It was. Winning. Well, I, so I went on R&R in June of 2011. She was coming home. You came home Father's Day, didn't you? I did. And uh, super excited to see her at my dad's house waiting for her. And we talked and she told me it wasn't going to work out. I think we need to backtrack a little bit. Okay, go ahead. I when I when I was going, I it was definitely more that I wasn't gonna come back. In my head, this was gonna be hard. I was gonna come back. I didn't want to put more on him since he was gonna be in training. I'd gone back and forth. Um and so the first phone call he got to call me, I had made my decision as we were engaged and I said I think we need to call off the engagement. This was in basic training, but yeah, this he was in basic training. When I was in basic training. And um, I want an only call. <laughs> you already had one strike against you, though, with the recruiter. Yeah. Well. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think she kind of forgave me after a while. I did. I did. Um, but to get my head where I felt like I needed to be, I didn't want to be engaged. I had to be fully in for this. Um, so I ended our engagement. While I was over there and you got out of training. Mm-hmm. You told me you were getting ready to go to Iraq, and we decided to try things out and see how things were going to go. We could do this, you know. We're both going to be in a war zone. Why not do it together? Um, but yeah, when I saw you uh, on your R and R on my time back, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that because he knew he was going back. And um, he messaged me. He sent me an email because you know we did that back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sent me an email for my birthday. He said, "Happy birthday." And then, um, no, 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 we need to backtrack a little more. We need to backtrack a little more? Yeah, because you just went all the way. <laughs> Once that happened, I think I was going back to Iraq in like three or four days. I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. When I got back there, you know, you got it's time difference. So it was kind of hard to re acclimate. But even with that, that was rough. Yeah. 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 I definitely, I mean, knowing now, like I tore his world upside down. I did not make it easier for him to go back to war. I was 
I was done. I was fine. And if you think about it, I mean, that can, and that probably happens more often than, than we talk about where those stressors kind of, you know, you go back to a war zone or go back to, first of all, you're separated, you go back to a war zone, and now you're dealing with the stressors of your personal life right. on top of the stressors of your professional life. Yeah. So how, if you can speak to, if either of you guys could speak to how you manage that type of stress when you're managing both of those things at the same time. The gym. He went to the gym a lot. I wasn't upset about it, that, though. Um, I was a big boy when I came back. <laughs> I went to the gym a lot. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you know, I was already back home. Um, it's not what I wanted to do. I drank a lot. A lot. And so it wasn't until... He did send me that email, happy birthday. I was like, okay, maybe we can talk a little bit. And then um, he came home in December. His, yeah, I think I landed in his family invited me to go down to Fort Hood with to surprise him. And I was like, <laughs> if he says no, I'm stuck in Fort Hood, Texas by myself. Uh, so I surprised him at the airport um, in St. Louis when he came back home. And I asked him, maybe we can try again. She didn't ask. She had a big old post. I did. Me. I have a, a big post. I said, will you be mine again? <laughs> and she made me check yes or no on a, on a, on a big old poster board. Love it. It's marketing. Yeah. yeah. That's See? right. Psychological <laughs> operations. Man, you did fucking uh. trip <laughs> <laughs> It's too late. Now we're over a decade. <laughs> what can you do? Well, the, um, it's, you know, I mean, we hear, we interview a lot of veterans, and it's challenging if one's a veteran you know, the, the going overseas, a deployment, the stressors, the, you know, the marriage is often a casualty, but you guys both went. I don't know whether that's a, a good thing, you know, that helped you understand what the other one's going through or whether it doubled the amount of stress. I think, Jim, a little bit of both. I was, um, about, I was about to say that, too. I was like, it, it, it was definitely both because yeah. we, had some, we had some rocky patches. I don't, I don't want to say... It was hard. It was, it was very hard. It was hard because we both managed our stress after mm-hmm. war very differently. Yeah. Very differently. And in fact, it wasn't until recently, the last year, that you and I opened up even a little bit about what we both went through. Yeah. And at that point, we'd been married for so long. Um, and I think, you know, the biggest key to that was communicating mm-hmm. and, and being willing. But I'll tell you what. We went through multiple times where I think both of us weren't sure if we were going to make it yeah. in the marriage um, after war, but we were committed. Mm-hmm. Well, and that the other part of that is, um, you know, of course, the stressors that you experience in that, we hear very regular that things like PTSD doesn't show up for a long, long time mm-hmm. until you're removed from the situation. So you can't possibly anticipate, mm-hmm. you know, what what's going to come down the road into years ahead. So, and different triggers. Yes. Yeah, you know, with different, different triggers, different personalities, different processing. Mm-hmm. So I guess, tell us a little bit about how you guys do that now. I'll let you go first on this one. You're talking about how we, how we I, manage. Yeah. You, you, you get some rocky patches. Now you guys are opening up and talking to it a little bit more. Is that helping you? Is that? Oh yeah. I, be, I believe so. And I mean, like, Honestly, I think the key to being married, to the key to stay being married and staying married, is to 
like open up, be honest, even if it's something that's uncomfortable. And um, honestly, I didn't really even know that until was that last year. Yeah, last year we, I mean, we needed help. We went to marriage counseling. I mean, it was online, but I mean, honestly, I think that really helped us open up more as a couple. Was it difficult as as a veteran, as a man, to to be vulnerable enough to talk about your experiences that impacted maybe some of the things you're going through? Oh yeah, it's very difficult. Um, but I mean, I wanted I wanted our marriage to be. I wanted to work. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose her. I didn't want to. I mean, she's my my world, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think I will never forget that day. Oh, the first day? Talking about the first. Where we said we need to go to counseling? Or the first day of counseling? The first day of counseling. I thought that's what you were talking about. Yeah. The first day of counseling was a a morning following a very heated argument, actually. I was very inebriated, too. Well, and I think that's, you know, a lot, a part of it is mm-hmm. you were dealing with a loss. It wasn't a military loss, but you were dealing with a loss. Yeah, my uncle just passed away. And... Well, your best friend passed away, and um, he, there was no communication from him on when he was coming home, and he was intoxicated, but he got a ride home. Like, he, it was a very safe ride, but I was frustrated, and I didn't know how to explain my frustrations. And for me, you know, I know now, after going through so much help and, and you know, starting a new journey in that, I didn't realize that I needed the communication from him because that is a trigger for me. I need to be communicated with because I didn't always get that when I was overseas and he didn't know. I actually ended up punching him in the arm pretty hard because just actually. <laughs> oh, it was in the chest. I don't, well, I did. Oh, yeah. And I do not, cond- I do not condone any sort of violence. Um, okay. But in, in the moment, a waiver. It's okay. yeah, no, I, would, <laughs> I just want to say that, but it, it was out of character for me. But at the time I was really scared. Mm-hmm. I was scared. I was triggered. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going on in his head, and um, but we t- we were able to talk it out, mm-hmm. and it took us a long time to get to a point where we really understood each other because you know we got married as one person, but Jim, as you said, um, PTSD and and triggers and and stressors don't come about until later and could be way later. So we got married as one person, and we grew into different people, and we never recognized that for each other. Well, the the other thing that's we hear pretty regular is, you know, even setting the PTSD aside, the first day you don't put the uniform on and you're transitioning to the civilian life, that's stressful for very many people. So you were both going through that. Yeah, I think for me it was a little different. I was reserved. Um, I mean, I came back a different person, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I still had, in my mind... Like, there was a, a distinction. I was, you know, Selena in the uniform. I was a different person than Selena outside of the uniform. Um, but, hon, it was, it was really hard for you. Well, you I mean, I, I kind of had, like, like, I, I had that freedom, you know. Like, I got my DD-214, freaking flipped forward to the middle finger, and I was happy for, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks. And then it just started getting out of control. I mean, 
I drink a lot. And I mean, like for my PTSD, I, I consume cannabis. It helps me. It's wonderful. Um, but I think I was, I was going a little overboard with it right when I came back. I was just like so happy that I'm out of the military, all this. And then it, and then that's when it hit me like, man, what the hell am I going to do? I don't, I mean, I had her as support, but I didn't have, like, my buddies supporting me. Um, and, it, and, it, and it did get really hard. Uh, Do you think it's like an identity crisis of sorts where you have this one identity while you're in the service and you're around all your guys and their camaraderie and, and the daily things you guys, the grind you go through, the things you guys can, you guys know each other are going through it, and then all of a sudden it's not there on a daily exactly. basis. I, I think that's what hit me the hardest. The, that was the hardest thing for me. It wasn't I missed the service. I missed my brothers and my sisters, that they had my back no matter what. Um, I think your your friends grew a different direction. Yeah, I had I had two pretty, like, solid boys that I hung out with all the time. We went to the gym in Iraq together, and, like, we were inseparable. Um, we all got out around the same time, and – we kind of kept in touch, you know, like through Facebook or whatever. And then just one day it, it dropped off and I wasn't hearing anything from anybody. Um, and like the, the people that I actually still do talk to from the army, I didn't deploy with like one of my buddies, he lives in Indiana and he was in Korea while I was overseas or when I was in Iraq, he was overseas too. Um, and he's like one of my best friends and another one, he was in Afghanistan and he came to our unit afterwards and uh i mean we've been buddies ever since we're actually going to go visit them in april yeah um but yeah yeah i think you know the identity crisis is definitely there jason and for zach it was a lot different and i didn't understand why he was having that problem i ended up having my identity crisis well after actually because i had a plan set in place i was gonna when i came back from afghanistan i was gonna go to school to be a teacher um, then that did not work out. Mm-hmm. I didn't, it takes a really special person to be a teacher <laughs> and I am not that special anymore. <laughs> I um, never was. Don't you worry know, but that was my plan. That was my plan for a long time, even when I was in, in the military and, um, I wanted, I wanted to change the world, but for little kids. And when that wasn't a thing for me anymore, I think that's when it really hit me. Um, so it was, I mean, we had moved back to St. Louis. It was like four. Three years after we'd already been here. I was like, what am I going to do now? Like, what do I do? And I didn't, I had no idea. I ended up going back to my previous job, um, which I'm so grateful for. I'm, I'm really good at it, and I was able to, you know, pull it together. And But um, that's when a lot of, I know for me, like my PTSD started really hitting, is when I didn't know what to do anymore. That's when I started having the, the thoughts of when, well, when I was in the army, this was so much easier. And that's when the dreams and the remembering, because, and I know you know this, but um, when I came back, when we moved back to the States, I did not have any friends back left, like, mm-hmm. or not back to the States, back to St. Louis. And um, I didn't stay in contact with them when I was in Texas with him. Um, because we had moved very quickly. We got married. He came back in December. We got married in March. I moved in May. Yeah. 
And um, I don't know. So it was all all very crazy. And I didn't talk to anyone in, that I was in the service with. I did not associate with myself with the Army. I didn't want to. I just connected. I disconnected that entire chapter of my life until recently, actually. And so he was proud. I mean, you were, you were proud of what you were able to accomplish. You were proud of what you did um, and what you got to be a part of. And I think that was hard for you to understand where I was coming from. So I think, again, it, goes, it just goes back to, like, knowing we needed help to communicate that. So you both had a little different experience that way. We abs- and, and, yeah, absolutely. You know, the uh, support network, when the veterans come home, it I, sounds like it's a very good thing to stay in touch with the veterans and to be able to work that, but you kind of took a different direction. I did. I was, I was not happy with... Or I, at the time, I didn't feel like um, what I had accomplished was a good thing. And then, to be quite honest, it wasn't until we pulled out of Afghanistan that everything came tumbling down. Because when we saw it on the news, I ended up taking the next day off. Because I was like, I worked so hard. What are you doing? And that's what I started realizing. Like, I did do stuff. And, and, and we did stuff. And we worked so hard. To give Afghanistan what, what they had, and it just all came tumbling down. And I think that when everything, when all that happened, it was it hit me, it hit me hard, and that's when, and that's when the nightmare started. Well, Selena, more so than maybe you, Zach, you were in a position trying to help the people you were working closely with them. It sounds like, I, yeah, we. I mean, we ended up doing some really cool things. Um, we sent a bunch of local nationals to do their Hajj with the Jordanians and. I got to know a lot of the local nationals. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it was, and knowing where, you know, you would see everything on the news, like I had been there. That's, I, I knew where Bagram was. I had been there. I had flown out of there. I had visited there numerous times. And so seeing all that just come tumbling down was really hard. And I think, I don't know, was it hard for you, Zach, to leave Iraq, like the way that you did, knowing it, that it was, I mean, but I, it was simple. Yeah. Like my time there, because you always knew what you were going to do. You I weren't I connected gonna... to the people. No, I like was Selena not. Was. I mean, like I met a couple of them, but I mean, I didn't have a relationship like she did with mm. the local nationals there. Um, I talked to a lot of the IA and the IPs, like the Iraqi army, Iraqi police that had their checkpoints up or whatever. But I mean, I should say my interpreter talked to them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't have that, that intimate relationship with like the kids and the women and the nationals and all that. No. Yeah. And I think that's what really separated us for a long time. What made kind of like our relationship hard hmm. until you and I were able to kind of like really talk about, but the great thing is I got to tell you, he was always willing to just, he was ready when I was ready. And, and I hope you felt the same way. <laughs> Do you feel like you were able to compartmentalize kind of like just the saying that I hear, we just went over and did our job. When you were in Iraq, were you able to compartmentalize the, what your job was and, and think about it that way? Or were you thinking about it in a broader sense of the whole mission? I mean, honest, I, I, I just thought I was doing a job. I didn't really think about the mission until – about a year after I got out. And then I kind of, I don't think 
we should have been in Iraq. That was that was kind of where I was coming from because I started noticing a lot of things that just didn't make sense. And then I think I got a little depressed because of that. Like I wasted a year of my life and I could have my life could have ended for what we were doing over there. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, like everything changed. Like we were there for 12 months and it was going to be 16. Like, oh, no, we're leaving in a month. So a lot, a lot, it was, it was really confusing. And then I could act like once I got out, I could take a step back and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, that didn't make sense. It didn't make sense why we were there. So, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think that the, um, the one thing that I think everybody, whether military or not, you got to have some satisfaction in what you're doing in your job or you're never going to be happy. You know, I think that one takeaway we hear quite a bit now is veterans looking back and feeling like they, what they little they did accomplish was wasted. I don't know that's if that's because of all the social media, all the attention that it it, today uh, we're so decisive, you know, divisive in many things right now, very different experiences. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, so I think it, I don't know, you know, I always tell him that we had to go through what we had to go through in order to really just cherish what we had before, yeah. you know, the, the canceling of the engagement and, and being separated from each other for almost two years, and I think that's what makes it really unique is because we did not meet in the military, yeah. and we lost essentially what we had, or we thought we lost it for good. And so then coming back together, we knew that this is the path we wanted to take and we worked really hard and we're going to continue to work hard mm-hmm. to have what we have. And, um, you know, cause we know veterans that like they were married and they met in the service and unfortunately it didn't work out. I think a lot of our friends actually who got married to another service, to, member. An, to another service member, um, it did not work out for them because they, that's where they met. That's how they had their life. And we knew there was a life outside of the military for us. So I think it makes it really unique. Um, we could have totally easily, though, not had a successful marriage so far. Mm-hmm. You know, there has been numerous times where I think both of us could have just, like, I can't do this anymore. Well, unfortunately, the numbers bear what you're saying. It, it's, uh, you know, divorce rate among veterans is mm-hmm. higher than the public. Oh, for sure. Did you lose any friends? suicide yeah we did we've lost a few actually um you want to talk about that not really okay you know he is it okay if i say a few words i so i had uh, a high school friend his name is mark um he was in baghdad and i was in basra and we would like we would chat like send each other facebook messages or whatever and uh he was having a really hard time over there. He was a 13 Fox. And uh, <clears throat> he he got pretty banged up. And um, once he came home, everything was great. He was about to be a dad. and um, I think he was stationed in Fort Riley. But he wasn't married, uh, still living in the barracks. And um, his barracks mate found him. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it was, that, was a, that was a really hard one. We've had quite a few. I, the, a friend of mine who actually replaced my, my sign-up team, you know, we got to know them. Um, he didn't make it through the battle at home. 
And um, we ended up, we tried. Others have been way more successful than us, but we had a, um, a Facebook group, you know, P6 is what it was so, called. Um, that was dedicated to my battalion commander who yeah. committed suicide. It's one of the strongest men I've ever knew. Which I think that was I, one that really I got us. that dude into hell. You know, you can, on the outside, you can you can have the highest rank. You can be so strong and, and have the mentality or show that you have a mentality of something, but you never really know what's going on inside someone's head. And we've we've heard many times that the battle really starts when you get home, because you have those unseen scars that you you know this, the people that aren't missing a limb or an eye or something like that the internal scars that no one can see that no one can associate with. Yeah, it, it's hard for them to understand what you've gone through or what you're going through, and that mental battle is very difficult. And sometimes people lose their lives over it. Uh, 22 people a day, 22 veterans yep, a day. I've got a shirt that says that right now. Yeah, and I'm sure that that might not be all of the reporting, so it could be higher, you know. Um, I know that's a very vulnerable, Zach, for you to be able to talk about that, but the veterans that we work with, you know, that's a battle they, they, they battle every day, you know. And um, thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, so, yeah, those unseen scars, the battle starts when you get home. The uh, The other thing that, we we believe here is the public has no understanding of what our modern veterans are how they're fighting when they come home they don't they don't get it now i know that we've had combatants vietnam other eras but and i do think it's a little bit different you know today mm-hmm. but i think generally what is different is the public doesn't understand in this modern age that our veterans are coming home so troubled and struggling with that. Yeah, why can't you just go back and work, right? Yeah. 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 Why can't I mean, you just be normal? Why can't you talk to people? Why can't, and, you, yeah. why can't you drive a half an hour by yourself? <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, I, I don't think we understand that. I mean, there was generally probably more understanding of it when people were coming home in mass, you know, from World War II and mm-hmm. and the benefits and, and calling out that they need attention. And there was how many that served in Vietnam and small, smaller numbers coming yeah. home staggered yeah. from Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I think on that, too, I know you did. We always had suicide prevention classes and and how all those went. But quite honestly, it was never looked at like, guys, pay attention. Just this is box. it was literally checking a box. I mean, you're people are snickering and and joking, and you walk out of the room, and you're like, "Oh, are you, you okay, buddy? You're not gonna take your life, right?" And I and I I say that because that's exactly what happened, though. Mm-hmm. You know, you get there, and so you're joking around, but then when the time comes, you're terrified. You are absolutely terrified to reach out to that buddy. To be like, hey, I'm I'm having an issue. I can't tell you how many times I've I've messaged. I do talk to some of the some of the people I was in the military with. Um, unfortunately, none really that I specifically deployed with yet. I'm just not there. But um, I've had a paragraph typed up. I'm struggling. I'm I'm looking for help, and I would delete it because I can't. And um, it wasn't until. You actually, Zach had was like, you know, what about your your civil affairs chick? 
I, I messaged her. I knew that she wouldn't, you know, judge me. But I was like, hey, I'm really struggling with this collapse here in Afghanistan. Like, how are you feeling? And um, we were able to talk a little bit. And so I knew it was going to be okay, but. Do you think it's harder for women? Absolutely. 100%. It's because they're treated differently. We're treated very differently. Like I, I, saw I could go up for hours. Yeah. I mean, I saw it in my company, too. All the women were treated differently. And yeah. I, it's, it's. I was told before, like, we got our orders. I got a phone call that, you know, hey, just so you know, you're going to get your official orders in the mail. You're deploying. Um, and it was at our next drill. I was told, you better not freaking get pregnant. You know, in order to avoid this. I'm like, what? So I told him, I'm like, hey, be careful. <laughs> I don't want to be that girl, you know. Um, no, but we are. You know, there is this stigma behind women that we don't want to be a part of this, that we don't want to give it our all. Um, and then when I was in, there was a, a mixture of, you know, the older generation and the newer generation. Um, and I deployed with 16 guys. It was me and 16 guys. And so, no, it, yeah, it is a lot harder. I mean, there's, I could go on for hours, but it is so much harder because you don't know if that person really does have your back. I, I, I unfortunately, um, did not feel the camaraderie all the time that, that my husband felt. And so it has been a little bigger, bigger struggle for me mm-hmm. still. Um, knowing if what I did made a difference. That's interesting dynamic change there between the two of you and your experience. And one of the one of the statistics that we uh, that we hear is that twenty two percent of the armed forces is women, and they get a different type of perspective because if you're if you're thinking about traditional roles, women more uh, take more of the family uh, pressures or load, and all of those things. Um, and so a lot of women that are deployed are thinking about those things in the background about the kids that they have or the, the things at home that need to be taken care of. And sometimes the other person is deployed too, and sometimes they're not. Did that impact you at all or? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I made the decision I did to end our engagement. We were so lucky to not have children at the time. Um, but it is because we had, you know, our first daughter that I got out. I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I I didn't want to be one of those cute videos on Facebook of coming home. I didn't want to have to put my kid through that or my kids. And um, I didn't want to put my kids And that's, yeah, I think we had a really good conversation about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, enough's enough. Shoot, they tried to send me to Korea. That was, I was not going. Yeah, and I... <laughs> I will never forget, like, oh, my God, I'm going to be doing this by myself. Um, And on top of that, I was supposed to have drill, you know. But I did think about that. You know, I was constantly thinking of my family and how my dad was going to be and taking care of him and and my brother. I took care of my brother growing up, too. So, I mean, it does put a different dynamic on how you are out there. And then also, just uh, real quick, 
there we we've we've talked to and we we have a good relationship with um, some female veterans that are that we've we've interviewed or talked to and the gym knows very well and that stigma of of reaching out and saying hey I need help and not being pegged in a certain you know hole of well there's something wrong with you now we need to put you on medication or something like that instead of instead of helping you walk through that that thing was in your experience did either of you guys have a situation where you wanted to talk to someone but were afraid that you'd be stigmatized and put on drugs or separated from your unit. I'm going to let you go first. While, while we were in? I think any um, Anytime, but maybe when you were in. Well, so when I was, when I came back, I was having some, some depressor, d- depression and like anxiety issues. Um, but it was actually, my unit was, Tune sergeant, I should say, was understanding about it. Um, and I went to behavioral health and I talked to them, um, basically told them what happened over there. And uh, the only thing they could do for me was give me pills. Uh, I talked to a lady for about 45 minutes and then she said that I could come back and talk to her in a month. And um, just to see how like the meds are working pretty much, not like to help me through things. Um, I didn't really like the pills. They didn't really uh, do anything for me. Actually, one of the pills that they prescribed me made me very angry. Um, Very angry. Um, But, I mean, I honestly didn't care about the stigma because I knew something was wrong with me. Like, you can label me what you want. Like, I need to get help. Um when I realized I wasn't going to get the help and they were just going to give me VA Skittles. Um, that's when I stopped going and I stopped taking those pills. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, similar. I, when I came back, I had problems sleeping. Um, the only thing that could get me to sleep was drinking. And so I did go to the VA. I did. Um, but I didn't want to tell <laughs> at the time. I, I don't think I recognized either. Uh, I just said, hey, just please give me something to sleep. You know, so I guess in, I, I did ask for the pills, but they didn't really want to dig any further either. And it's not a stab at the VA either. They're they're overworked and underpaid. Um, but it wasn't until recently when I was like, this is not getting better. Um, and so I, I did not go to the VA, though. I went to a primary care provider and... It was when we were going through counseling. I I did a lot of talk therapy first before getting on to any medication. Um, But that can only go so far sometimes. So I was, you know, I do have like anxiety medications and things like that. And, um, but talk, I feel like you shouldn't take any medication unless you're on doing talk therapy. Well, the, um, we have been fortunate enough to have a woman share her story, one time she was on 18 different drugs at once prescribed by the VA. I'm not surprised. And she kind of called it medicating normal. If she didn't feel the things she feels, she would have really have not been normal. So what you felt was normal was the position she always maintained. And she yeah. she thought about suicide 17, 18 times. But she was on 18 different drugs by the VA, including some of them that have 
lasting effect for many, many years. Yeah, I mean, un- unfortunately, I feel like the doctors are told, you know, if if there's no pain, there's no problem. Right. You know, I just recently went to the VA and was complaining about some some physical pains, you know, we're not at the mental pains yet. And uh, instead of saying, you know, let's take an x-ray, let's take an MRI, let's see what's going on, it was, okay, well, I'll prescribe you pain medication and lidocaine patches and some ointment, and I'll send them to you. Is that okay? But what's wrong with me? (laughs) You know, like, can we figure that piece out? But there's so many of us. There's so many of us, and we weren't prepared to come back so differently than we were. Then we went when we went over there, and I've talked to people who have been overseas. You know, we know Brent who's been over there. You know, nine times. There has um, to be a freaking limit. Yeah, first, yeah, there, yeah, there needs to be a limit. But times. he's been overseas nine times. Wow. In combat, yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, he's infantry, and him and I have talked, and him and his wife, and and I, and and the four of us have talked, and it's the same. You know, because I asked him, like, does it get worse? He goes, it gets better, actually. Because you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm like, okay. Comfortable environment for yeah. him after a while. Yeah, and it's like, that's sad. That's why you hear a lot of guys saying it was it was easier over there. You know what to expect. You know what to do. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, man, you guys have shared quite a bit with us tonight. <laughs> and it's been excellent being able to speak with you guys and your experiences. And I know you guys were very vulnerable in some of these things. Is there anything else that uh, you want the listeners to know or that you want to say before we, you know, end our time together tonight. Yeah. Um, if you're a veteran and you, you have these feelings, talk to somebody. It does help. And I mean, like, I'm not going to say that medication does help, but it can. It all depends. The main thing is to talk about it. Be vulnerable. It will help. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I, I just want to, again, for all the veterans that are listening or for anyone who knows a veteran listening, it's totally different asking someone, how are you doing than how are you feeling? Yep, how are you feeling? Um, and it doesn't matter what you did overseas. You could have been a fobbit. That's okay because you saw stuff. You still saw wreckers coming in. You still, anything. Just, you're in a war zone. Yeah, you're in, you don't know what's going to happen. So please talk about it. Get help. Um, reach out to anybody. Reach out to a stranger if you have to. Yeah. But the more you talk about it, the better it's going to get after after the hump. But there is there is a bright side. Well, Zach, Selena, thank you so much for your service, for your sacrifice for our country, and for sharing your story with us tonight. And uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off from the Dog Tag Podcast at the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The Dog Tag is brought to you by the St. Charles County Veterans Museum. The museum is a 501c3 nonprofit business. Do you like our podcast? With your support, we'll continue to bring you great programming. If you'd like to donate, go to sccvetsmuseum.org and click on Donate.